Hello and welcome to Handball in Numbers, the Handballetics podcast. My name is Mark Hawkins and I'm joined by Julian Rooks. Good afternoon, Julian. Hi, Mark. Of course, the game we're talking about today is the final between Norway and France. Norway won 29-22 after an outstanding performance in the second half. Well, after they trailed by as much as six during the first half, they turned it around in the second half. Top scorer was Henny Reistad with six goals for Norway. What were your main takeaways from the game, Mark? Yeah, I think, uh, like you, you mentioned there, an incredible second half performance and coming from six goals down was actually uh, Norway had to do against Netherlands in the group final, as it were, or the last match of the group stage. So uh, they've had, they've given themselves a couple of holes to dig themselves out of in the competition, Norway. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, one of the key statistics going into the game and, and some of the key themes that we'd probably always expect from Norway is how good their goalkeepers have been second in goalkeeper efficiency with, you know, two absolute world-class goalkeepers um, saving more than you'd expect um, to the second highest ratio throughout the competition. And then France on the other side of that um, have been actually the second uh, worst um, in allowing the other team's goalkeepers to have a, a high efficiency. And, you know, it's only Romania um, who made the main round, who had a, uh, allowed the other team's goalkeepers to perform so far above expectation. So I think that was, you know, and as we see, you know, France only with six goals in the second half is, uh, in particular, is a complete turnaround and really kind of went into that statistic. Um, and then the other thing for me is where it was, you know, that went sort of as the statistics would say. The other kind of key battleground was technical mistakes and what amount of technical mistakes we uh, each defence could force the other team into making. And Norway were only nine technical mistakes forced in every 50 attacks before the final. It's jumped up to, to over 10 because of the final. But, you know, they forced France into 17 mistakes and France, who have one of the best defences or best in terms of forcing mistakes from the opponent, weren't able to impose that on their defence. I think that, uh, especially in the second half, when they weren't able to score goals and, and that part of their defence went missing, um, they can't get free goals, cheap goals, easy goals on the fast break to, to maybe bring themselves back into the game. So I think they, they were the two things really that, uh, that stood out for me on the whole. Yeah, I can completely um, agree with what you say. I think especially looking at the goalkeeper performance again, um, until the final, Katarine uh, Lunde was, had the better, better numbers with a save percentage of 36.7% and 36.6% uh, more saves than expected from the, shows, uh, from, from the shots that she received. While Sylvia Solberg had good numbers, but well, it was just 5.5 more, uh, more saves than expected. Final, it was the other way around as uh, Selberg had great, great numbers with 50% safe percentage and twice as much saves as expected, which is, uh, of course, extremely good. Um, so I think that in the second half, she was one of the, the main reasons. And well, you mentioned turnovers. Um, they were, of course, the other problem that France had in the second half where they had nearly twice as much as in the first half. But yeah, with a great goalkeeper performance, their shooting percentage went down from 76.2% in the first half to 30 in the second, 
which is of course well you won't win a final with that no and you're right to mention there the the stark contrast um between the statistics from from both halves and Norway played uh, they scored a few more goals per 50 or per 25 attacks in the uh, in the second half but uh, I mean of course it's never going to be completely equal but they had a very similar profile in both the first half and the second half and you know of course the the overall result doesn't uh, clearly shows there was a big difference from France in the second half but as you say it's uh, it's very difficult to, to win a final in that sense and you know the numbers are just completely crazy for you know they look like the numbers we were getting from some of the completely one-sided matches earlier in the tournament it's very uh very difficult but i think a lot of the shooting the low shooting percentage you know i think uh, at that level of competition in a final at that level we have to put that down to the the goalkeeping performance it's uh more of the quality of on the defensive side than maybe weakness from the attacking side so it's uh yeah very you know, kind of one-sided final in the second half. Um, but I think that was the the difficulty of the momentum swing by losing there. A little bit of chaos before half time, um, when I think the lead could have been six at half time, and with a number of two-minute yeah. suspensions, and then as soon as it's four, and then the four-goal lead is wiped out in two minutes. I think that's uh, psychologically very difficult to come back from as well. Yeah. So one thing that I want to add there is that I think that France had their problems on offense during the whole tournament. When, well, when you look at the stats without the bad teams, um, they were just the ninth best offense during the tournament. And another statistic that I think is interesting that um, the best scorer before the final was Pauletta Foppa at just 3.3 goals per game, which was a number like 140 at the scorer list while Norway had five players with more goals than that. So I think that maybe just wasn't during the whole tournament enough, or, or obviously it was enough during the whole tournament up until to the final, but maybe to win it, just the, the offensive output of the team um, itself was was just not not enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, on the other side, to compare with Norway, we have, uh, Nora Merckx, Dean Ofterdal, who we, we mentioned on the last podcast, who probably hasn't had the... Uh, I mean, we're, we're comparing her to her in essentially MVP standard at every other competition that pr- probably hadn't been performing on that level, but almost hadn't had to because you see the... You know, Nora Merck is, you know, the amount of assists and the amount of goals per game she's been having, Veronica Christensen, the same. And then two players who... I mean, Kari Bratzett, who we'll talk about a little bit, who was MVP of the tournament. And then Henny Reistad as well, who saved them. Well, maybe not saved them, but was the difference in the game against the Netherlands when Astin Oftedal went off quite early and Henny Reistad came in off the bench in all games in the final as well. Amazing periods and amazing, you know, has really kind of propelled herself to into the level of the best players in the world where... You know, you're talking to a point, like you're saying, the offensive output of a team and you've got one of the all-time great players in Steen Ofterdal who, you know, she normally yeah. has a higher impact on the whole team. It's maybe a little bit lower because there's a lot of other pieces who are stepping up to... And I think that kind of spread as well as, has always been incredibly valuable to Norway and that sort of goes a long way into uh, 
uh, into helping them in, in in games like that when they've got so many options. Yeah. Um, well, while you mentioned um, a lot of players already, I think it's uh, interesting to talk maybe a bit about um, Kari Bradstad, who was voted MVP with uh, 4.8 goals per game and at 82.6% shooting percentage, which is, of course, very good. And another statistic about her, which I think is very interesting, that for a line player, she had 1.3 assists per game. I really don't know how that's possible for a line player, <laughs> but well, do you think that was the, the right pick as MVP? Yeah, it, it's an interesting pick. And I mean, especially with MVP, that's sort of more an American, more valuable player. And, you know, if we describe that as if you take that player away from the team, is it the most important? Probably say that, you know, from an attacking point of view, um, the other two or the other line players that they had with Norway probably weren't going to give as much as the Curry Bratset does. Maybe if you take away Katrina Lunder, then Silvius Olberg steps up, as we've seen, or vice versa. If you take, you know, we're saying Steen Oftedal came out of the game against Netherlands, Henry Reistat stepped up. Maybe if you take Curry Bratset out, then maybe you don't get the same from the other, uh, the next line player from Norway, Marin Ardal, or or one of these so maybe from that instance it goes very commonly in these situations that they go with the a player from the winning team normal and makes sense so you know i wouldn't have said there was many obvious standout choices because of like we've mentioned that norway had such a broad array of offensive output there wasn't one player that cons consistently stood out so i think it's it is maybe a nod to sort of okay defending as a number three the whole time, giving this offensive output as well. Like you say, creating a number of assists, maybe doing some things extra that a line player doesn't normally do is, you know, shines a light on the consistent performance of maybe one of the less heralded positions. So from that point of view, I, I, I think I like the decision and I think it's often they just maybe pick the highest profile player. Um, in that sort of situation. So from that sort of sense, I think I quite like the decision. I think I can completely agree with you. Um, of course, uh, there wasn't one standout player, um, which was clearly the MVP. And well, of course, you have to pick a player from the, or I would always pick a player from the team that wins the tournament and can completely agree. One statistic that I think is very interesting about her as well is that she scored uh, 31.9 more goals than expected, which is one of the best numbers for, for all players during the tournament. And I think it's also worth noting there that that's actually more difficult to do as a line player than yeah. some of the other positions because, you know, her the shot quality that she would normally get from her shots is that much higher. So I think that's a... You know, we talk a lot of, or coaches often talk about 100% chances or must score chances or whatever. And those ones that are missed um, statistically possibly have a bigger impact. So I think, you know, when you're, you're scoring those consistently as well, it's maybe more, more valuable than maybe appreciated sometimes. But I think that statistic highlights that pretty well. And it's quite a good, uh, you know, a good show of the value as well that, one of the players who's performing highest above expectation, then that's probably not a bad remit for, for an MVP either. Yeah, absolutely. You were, you were correct with your 
prediction of Norway winning. And although at halftime in the final, I did think that uh, after I'd gone for Denmark and you'd gone for Norway, it was going to be France that made us both look stupid. <laughs> but um, I, it was just uh, more of an interesting thing that looking through some of the statistics from the teams after the final games and after the, the knockout phases, how Denmark had a, they did have a very good kind of statistical profile. And I think very similar to the Netherlands, who caused Denmark a lot of problems. Offensively, it was almost exactly the same. Defensively, there was a slight difference maybe in favour of Denmark for shot quality and offensive rating, but they had a considerably better defensive rating, which we talked about on the last uh, podcast. And they were so... They had, you know, this area where Netherlands conceded 37 goals to Norway, and I think maybe Denmark would have conceded a bit less. So I think it would have been a a great final to see, you know, and like we said, that that was probably one of the key differences, especially in the second half of the final, the uh, the ability to make, you know, France France's shooting was uh, wasn't great, uh, or they allowed um, consistently the other team's goalkeepers to perform better, and, and Denmark didn't. They were much more in line with. Uh, uh, with some of the other top teams and some of the better teams there. So I think in, in some of the key areas where it looks like France maybe lost the game, Denmark were a bit stronger. So it, it could have been, uh, but I think as a lot of people have said, that they're, you know France and Norway were the two kind of big favourites coming into it. But I think Denmark have certainly pushed their way into the conversation for the European Championships next year and, and the next tournaments going forward. They, you know, with Jesper Jensen as a coach, they look very, very strong and not just with the performances, but also statistically backing that up as well yeah can completely agree with you and uh well there's there happened something after the game that i think that we should talk um as well about and i don't think that we need to talk about hassan mustafa not knowing who the second and third was but i think we should talk about well ihf second pr disaster yesterday um dietrich späte the of the ihf commission of coaching and uh, methods who said that women's handball is getting closer to men's handball because the efficiency in attack increased from 51.6% two years ago to 55.1%, which means according to his, uh, well, it's called an interesting interpretation that the quality is rising and getting closer to men's handball. Besides that, the numbers he quoted seem to be completely wrong. What's your opinion on this? The first, I mean, it's like you say, it's a PR disaster on uh, a million levels. I mean, firstly, to uh, suggest the fact that women's handball should be trying to compete and compare itself to men's handball anyway is ridiculous. The fact that by definition, if he's saying that the, the shooting efficiency in women's handball is lower than that, on the reverse must mean that the defense and the goalkeeping performance is better is I mean I don't think there's anyone in handball that would take that at that particular statistic as a statistic of quality anyway but you know it probably more than anything shows the necessity for work that we're trying to do work that as we've mentioned before so many other people are trying to do with handball um, I noticed uh, Anselmo Duriz who was doing some work with I don't know whether it's the organizing federation or one of the teams there but he's been there and and all number of people that I could mention who are doing positive work in this area that uh, 
and you know coaches that we've spoken to on on previous podcasts during the olympics you know interested in information like this and there's a growing need for it and desire for it and obviously because of you know comments like this it, it certainly shows the need for it as well because it's it, it's not there as it stands yeah and i don't have much to to add here the the, the thing is with with uh, quotes like this that i don't know where they're coming from is it just like they want to present something as well and know that it's wrong but just want to present it as good as possible or it's just that they are too dumb to interpret the numbers the right way i just just don't know and i think it's bad it's always bad no matter where the the intention is coming from absolutely and i mean the encouraging thing seeing a little bit of reaction on social media yeah. as well was the amount of people who picked holes in the uh the statistics and the as you say the interpretation of them as well so i think echoing that and it's yeah a million times wrong but uh thankfully a lot of people know it and hopefully the more we can do things like this and other people can then the more that um that message gets out there as well yeah absolutely and well of course we will continue this we will continue this in let's say a bit different form during the um, European Championship that we I don't think we can talk about it yet um, but like one thing that I wanted to mention or ask you about and that maybe well has something as well to do with the the quote is the expansion to 32 teams um, of course that's another way to interpret the numbers that the offensive numbers of went up because well there were so many new bad teams that just couldn't compete with the, the good european teams how did you like the, the new format the many teams i especially coming from a non-traditional handball country yeah. i'm very uh, i'm pro the idea of having more teams and giving the exposure to some players and performances you know like we've seen and we talked about you know particularly the Iranian goalkeepers in the last podcast possibly the development of Argentina and you know we've seen previously how some of these teams start at that level and develop up going forward my I think possibly the issue was okay the preliminary rounds you can forgive some of those matches if it becomes all competitive in the main round I think there was probably I think it was the group with Norway, Netherlands and Sweden where they had Kazakhstan and Puerto Rico who were two quite comfortable matches in. Mm -hmm. The main round is probably a little bit too much. I think Chris O'Reilly from the Uninformed Handball Hour yeah. wrote an art piece. And again, many of... Uh, this is actually something that happened in the Cricket World Cup earlier in the year and I don't think there's going to be a big crossover in cricket and handball. <laughs> uh, Uh, watches but get a play-in tournament and I think it's the perfect development area it's the perfect showcase area and I think a lot of people would enjoy watching uh, you know the, the tight matches between the teams they don't know about as a warm-up not a warm-up from a spectator point of view but you know to play into the yeah. competition to earn a chance and and it certainly would I think give more um you know, the President's Cup would gain more importance as well if you, you know, you could call it the President's Cup. So that would be my take on it, I think. Yeah, and again, I can just um, agree. All right. Perfect. I think that's it then. As always, follow us on um, at Handpolitics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or go to uh, handpolitics.ce. 
And then I guess we'll see each other again in a couple of weeks at the Euro. So then 